Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed. We've got Michael Morrow, Jason Loftus, and Ron Hayes, your host tonight. Uh, Michael, I already know Jason's answer to this question. He's just going to show off anyway. So I'm going to ask you first, what's your favorite shot this week? Oh, man. I actually have something to talk about, too. I've been getting out shooting turkeys. So um, I've been, I don't know much about turkeys. I've never really shot them. I, I guess filmed them. I shouldn't say shot them because people think you're going to go out turkey hunting, but no, I'm out turkey filming. And um, I've just been out there giving it a go and I've got some pretty cool stuff. I think I'm going to get a lot better stuff. And apparently the, the turkey season or what do they call it? It's not like the turkey mating season. Is there a special Uh, name for it? It's not a rut. It's, it's a, they kind of strut too, though. It's kind of like a lot like grouse wood. It's a strut. That goes on for what? Three or four weeks. So I think I'm going to have plenty of opportunity and I've just been doing it for a couple of days now. So I think I'm just getting in the swing of it and trying to figure out how tolerant these birds I'm filming are. These aren't hunted birds. So they are pretty tolerant as far as cars and stuff. So I'm just, I haven't got out of the car yet because I'm too, I don't want to have them run to the next county. But um, since they're tolerant with cars, I've been having some pretty good luck. So I got some couple good turkey shots of just really super tight shots. And then I don't know. There's just so much to learn about turkeys, and we can talk about it a little bit more once we get Jason's story. But um, that's that's my favorite shot. I have not clicked a shutter on an animal all week. It's been it's been a stressful week at work, and so I've been trying to get out. But I did get to uh, a good turkey spot. I've got blinds out, ready to go on private land. It's going to be nice, uh, but it's on land that they are very, very tolerant of people. Unhunted birds, um, cars going by all the time, people out in in this yard all the time. So they're very tolerant, but it's a a good open spot, so I know I'm going to be able to catch them in good morning and evening light. Um, So I do have the blind set, and I am very much looking forward to that. We're supposed to have another uh, storm this weekend, so I'm kind of excited to go out and see if I can get some wet turkeys in snow see how that goes yeah i was just gonna ask you so you're talking about turkeys because this is grouse season too for you right so you could be out doing grouse too yeah and i did the the sharp-tailed grouse so i have to take that back sharp-tailed grouse have kind of settled in and so i think the issue earlier on was i was just too early out there um so they've settled in a little bit and so that opportunity actually i'm going to go up there in the morning on uh, Saturday, first thing, and then photograph turkeys in the evening. Um, but the, they've settled in and they're doing good. Sage grouse, it's anybody's ball game still. Hold on, they you really said just... sage grouse first, right? You meant sharp tails on the last one. Sh- sharp tails, yeah. Okay, so sage grouse is still a wild wild card. Uh, the sage grouse are still kind of yeah, they're still kind of goofy. So that is to be determined. But I'm focusing on getting a lot more video. Uh, this year than I have ever in the past and just so we can share some of that and I think you know video in slow motion like you got 
a couple of years ago, Michael, the sage grouse, the display really, you miss a lot of the intricacies until you, if you can photograph it with a fast frame rate camera, you can, you can kind of see every little detail of their strut. Um, but I think fo- video and in slow motion, you get to see a lot of those little idiosyncrasies that the eye misses yeah. and you get to see what makes the sound that, you know, you can hear for so far from so far away. But in lieu of that, we did have a super moon. And so I went out and grabbed a, I haven't set up with, since I got my Nikon, I did a whole series of, uh, you know, moon phases with when I had my Canon set up. Cause I had a 1.4 and a 2X teleconverter, put it on a crop sensor camera and uh, was able to get some up close and personal moon shots. And I haven't done it with the D850 yet. And I threw the 1.7 teleconverter on there and on the 600 and went out and just manual focused, grabbed a couple shots of the full moon and it turned out awesome. Um, really sharp, a lot of detail. And then I brought it back in and threw it on uh, Topaz. And holy smokes. It, <laughs> it just, it ripped the detail out of that image. So it, it turned out pretty cool. Mm. So that's been the, the big shot. And, you know, it's out in the front yard, basically. Just photographing the full moon as it moves across the sky. And it's pretty fun. But you don't, you can't do it very often because it's the same thing every time. Well, hold on. Before you go too much further, I think let's talk about that topaz because there might be people that don't know what we're talking about. But also, let's not leave Jason out of this whole first part of this oh, no. conversation. I because... wasn't. He's just going to be showing off. So... <laughs> I know. That's what I wanted to point out. I wanted to say, you know, we're not asking Jason because he had a an awesome day, what, a week ago, Jason? Yeah, it would have been a week ago tomorrow. So. so you had an awesome day, and we're going to talk about that as kind of the content for the podcast. So... We're not intentionally leaving that out. No, I'm not blocking him. That's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be a whole part of the show. So, and I've got a bunch of turkey questions for you, Jason. I don't know. Okay. Since you've been shooting them this year, and Ron, you've done quite a few turkeys, haven't you? Mm-hmm. I haven't done them ever, so I've got just some questions for you guys. But before we do that, let's go into that topaz thing. You you just say topaz like people know so, what it is, but explain what it is. Right. So. My primary uh, post-processing program is Adobe Lightroom. Um, It's almost one-stop shopping. There's a few things that you can't do in there. So you do use Photoshop uh, at times. Uh, But Topaz is just a a plug-in program. It's a standalone also. You can use it as a standalone. But uh, I run it as a plug-in to Lightroom and Photoshop. Typically just use it in Lightroom. And what it it's got, there's a couple different things. So there's Topaz uh, Clear, AI Clear, AI Denoise, and the AI stands for artificial intelligence. So basically what they've done is they've taught the software to look for edges and place pixels where they think those edges should be or, or should be more defined. And you can definitely overdo it with this software and make it look almost cartoonish. And so you have to be really careful. You just want to make little subtle corrections. And again, you have to start with a pretty sharp shot to begin with. But when I drop this moonshot into uh, AI clear, 
it just took it to a whole nother level of detail with all the craters and the, you know, the star patterns where there's been impacts on the moon. All that stuff is just in perfect detail. And then the edges of the moon, like all the way around it, you know, the crater detail is, is just amazing. And again, you have to start with a good shot, but that software is just a little bit of magic. Jason, didn't you put something on your site the other day for Topaz? Or I mean, not on I your did. site, but on your Instagram? On my story, I think, yeah. And, and it's, I've been very impressed. I picked it up over the holidays when it was super cheap. Um, they were running some really good specials around the holidays. And I picked up the whole suite. And I've actually played with all the different ones now, to Ron's point. And the other one I use a lot, to be honest, is the Gigapixel, which is their resizing software, which... I think it's the same kind of software that the the big print shops are using to enlarge images, you know, to print. I think I don't know that for a fact, but um, somebody could probably correct me on that if I'm wrong. Please do. <laughs> but it's that powerful, right? I was able to take an image that was not a very high megapixel image after cropping and doing some things, and I resized it to 40 by 60, and I had um, Bay Photo print it, and I was blown away. It looked it looked amazing. So, anyways, the whole suite of software is really powerful, and I've used the I've used the denoise one a lot. I think that's my probably the one I use the most is that denoise one. But that sharpen one too, I played with it a bit too, and I was really, really impressed, Ron. I mean, I think you have to have to your point. It, I think it helps if you just miss the focus, for example, just a little bit. Um, it can see those pixels that are sharp, and the image is still sharp, but it sees those pixels that are sharp, and then it can it can predict what those other pixels should look like, like Ron said. But if you've got a, I don't know if you, if it would work if you had a blurry image, you know, you still got to have some technically yeah, it, sharp. It definitely sharp does. Yeah. I've, I've thrown a couple in there just to, just to see gone back and grabbed a couple images that, you know, bird and flight or whatever, and you just miss it. It tries to guess. And so it'll put these splotches of lines in the image, but they are not what you're looking yeah. for. Yeah. So you have to start with a pretty good image. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but I've been real, real impressed. When you guys say it, it's a plug-in. So does it just appear in your, like the tool column over on the right side, and you just, it just adds to that column. In Lightroom, you'll, you know, you'll hit your. I think it's in the lib. No, it's not in the library module. It's in the develop module. Hit your edit up top, and then edit in. Oh, okay. So that's how you get to it. Yeah, edit in, and then you can go down and select all your plugins, edit in, you know, Topaz, AI Denoise, or AI Sharpen, whichever one that you want to use. And then it, it just basically round trips it into that software. And then when it brings it back, it you can select what format you want it to come back in. But the default, I think, is a TIFF format. Yeah. So it comes back in, in a pretty large format image that you can still make some adjustments in if you need to. So that isn't that the same software we talked about with Shane McGuire? Yeah, that Shane, I think, is a like a representative for him or, or like at least has worked with something. him for quite a while, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to figure that out, and it, when I saw Jason's story on it, I was like, hmm, maybe I should get that. But I haven't done it yet. It's definitely worth doing. Over the holidays, they had a special. And uh, Jason put me onto that special, and so I got a suite for a reduced rate, and it was it was a good purchase. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it's for me, it's one of those where 
I honestly, I think I was telling you this, Ron, but I've been telling some people, it's like, it's one of those softwares where you really wish you wouldn't have thrown some older images away because there's ones that I've thrown away because I'm so picky about noise that I really believe this would have been enough that it would have just made them very usable. So it's that powerful where like, yeah. like Lightroom and Photoshop just don't have what the noise reduction power that this does. For example, and we're talking about noise created by high ISO or that sort yeah. of thing, right? Yeah, high ISO underexposure type noise is kind of the, the stuff that I generally have. I I have a problem with underexposing, but <laughs> right, yeah. So you had mentioned something, Ron, earlier when you were talking about round tripping into Photoshop and you know doing that sort of thing, but most of the editing is done in Lightroom. Over the last couple of weeks, we've had a couple of people on the podcast. One was Ray Hennessy. And the other person was Jamin Hunter. And Jamin Taylor is his name, but he's Jamin Hunter on Instagram. Editing those podcasts, I was looking at their YouTube pages. And those guys do pretty interesting, like, the, I'm going to edit real-time edits on YouTube. So if you are mm -hmm. someone out there that just, you just want to see how somebody's going to handle an image, it's super interesting. I found myself not editing, and I was just watching their their edits. So I just wanted to point that out. It's a good resource. I'm sure there's tons of people that do it. I just have been made aware of these two guys and it's probably, you know, if you're doing wildlife, it might work better than somebody that does it for fashion or somebody that's doing it for something else. So, yeah. um, it's pretty interesting to watch and Ray Hennessy will take an image that is, you know, I'm looking at it. I'm like that. I would never even mess around with that image. I would just go find one that I thought worked better and you see from where he starts and where he ends, and it's it's pretty amazing. So if anybody's up for learning, that would be a good thing. Yeah, that's a cool point, man. I think there's so much you can do in post with the images that, you know, I'm learning more and more to stop throwing some images away just because I think I may not be able to work with it. I might throw it away if it's a duplicate or something like that, but I've really tried to stop throwing away images just because I think it may not work or I think it's too noisy or I think whatever because I really believe that there's an opportunity with the post-processing power to, you know, to make some interesting things happen and make them very usable and actually make them very impressive, you know, that something you thought may not even turn out, you know. Right. So the moral of that story is just don't think. Yeah, that's that's my biggest problem. I think too much. But yeah. <laughs> or the other moral is just don't throw it away. Just buy another hard drive. Yeah, that's yeah. true too. There's something to be said for that. I know people that don't throw any images away, but you know, anyway. Yeah. As I'm looking at the screen, one of them is just to your right. <laughs> yeah, I don't throw anything away. <laughs> Jason, what's your pro tip? You know what? Actually, let's do that because my pro tip ties into kind of what I was just talking about with not throwing stuff away a little bit. I think on my list of pro tips I have, I wanted to talk a little bit about this little bad boy. And I think this has been talked about before, but I wanted to talk a little bit about how I utilize it. So this is a little uh, SanDisk one terabyte SD card or SD drive. I mean, look how little this bad boy is. Yep. Super thin, very lightweight, very packable, fits in the palm of my hand, fits in your pocket, no problem, whatever. Very usable, very easy to handle. And because I'm too cheap and I refuse to pay for cloud service still, which I'm way behind the time, I use this thing to 
store all of my edited photos on. The one little trick I do is I use that and I back that up too. So for me, for my workflow, right, I always keep each of my images, which is pretty common, on uh, an external hard drive. And then I back up that external hard drive as well. So I have two, two terabyte or four terabyte drives that I keep my images on and I back them up. But then what I'm doing with this is I'm taking and I'm putting all of my edited images and I'm putting them on this terabyte, this one terabyte drive. And the cool thing about this is, is I thought, well, is the terabyte going to be enough? Because I'm putting images, of, you know, a two terabyte drive, I'll fill up a two terabyte drive every year with as much as I get out and shoot. So I was kind of wondering if this was going to be enough data. But the cool thing is I don't even think I've used up like 200 gigs or anything. I don't even think I'm at 200 gigs yet. And it's just because it's just the images that I've edited. So I've probably got about 6,000 images on this drive right now. And then I bought another one so I can back it up. And now the cool thing is, is it's so much easier and faster to find my images when I have them on here too. So I don't have to go big, back and dig through numerous hard drives. And then I can just take and put this in my backpack if I'm going on a trip or whatever. And I have all my images with me whenever I need them. Bye. Edited images, you mean those are the selects. Those are the ones that could be used in a publication, could be used on, you know, whatever. Sure. The, the final use images. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's better to say. I, I, so I'm not putting the raw file. I'm not putting the, I'm putting the finished JPEG. And I'm started now putting both the large file JPEG. And I also have the smaller file, like the 1200 wide file that I'm putting on there that I, that I might put on Instagram or Facebook or something. So I put both of those images on there for every image, the select images. That's a better way to, to say it. But that's come in real handy multiple times. And it saved, you know, say I saved this a lot, but it saves my bacon. You know, it really does. It's made it so I have the files I need handy when I need them. Um, and there's been times where if I wouldn't have had those available, I'd have missed out on an opportunity. So Right. Now, I know a couple other photographers that do that. You know, you basically can cover, what, the last five or six years worth of images, select yeah. right there on that and have it with you all the time. Yeah. Yeah, someday I need to just bear down and accept that I'm living in the present and it, I can just go ahead and, you know, pay for a cloud service. Are you an Amazon Prime member? I am, and I've been doing some of that too, based on your guys' tip back in the, you know, not too long ago. Actually, I remember you guys talked about that, um, and I've been doing that as well. So that's kind of cool because as long as you have internet access, which is pretty hard not to find anymore, you know, you can log on to your Amazon Prime account and access all your photos. And right now, it's all free. So that's another great tip for sure. And I know that's been talked about before. So I've been taking the time. Part of my problem is I don't have super good internet. If I had better internet speeds, I would just make that part of my workflow and I'd just throw every image on there as I was doing my editing, you know. But right now, I don't have good enough internet speed to just, you know, to take the time to manage that as well. I feel like I'm already spending a ton of time in my office here at home and <laughs> I got to balance, you know, the wife saying, where have you been? And <laughs> I've been in the office. Again? You're going to go shooting again? <laughs> Haven't you just spent the last three days in your office editing photos? You know. <laughs> playing that whole game so <laughs> right well i think the amazon thing's a good thing and i have over a hundred thousand images on there oh wow and it's all they say it's free and it's free for stills it costs money for video yeah yeah if they ever install a fee for that that would not be very good but i can't imagine they will i just don't think most people are like us you know and so if there's one of us for every thousand people it's probably not that big of a deal by us you mean data hogs right yeah, yeah, photographers, you know, just somebody that would just throw up tons of images. What well, do you think about security? Because I know you guys have talked about that in the past. Do you, I mean, it's because I know there's some photographers out there that really worry about 
people being able to get into their files and take their images and use them, you know. And I, I that's a valid concern. Don't get me wrong. I just, I wonder with the Amazon, but I've never thought about it really. I mean, I'm assuming that Amazon, being Amazon, would not allow that to happen very easily. Not that it couldn't happen for sure. It probably could happen by some wise guy, but I just don't worry about it. It's not really super user friendly for someone like us. If you are putting a hundred thousand images, I just mm. haven't found the structure of it to be very user friendly. I did it really as that fail safe backup. I just throw everything there. Mm. I have my structure and the way I do stuff is always kept with me with those SSD drives or other drives and I just get it that way. That would be if I had major hard drive failure or if something catastrophic happened, then I hope, you know, I feel like that's what's going to that's what I use that for. So mm. that's not really the security question. The security question, like I said, I I just can't imagine that they would make it very easy. I don't know. You know, Amazon survives on Amazon Web Services, which is all heart data. So I yeah. got to think that it's pretty pretty solid, but who knows? Yeah. If you get successfully hacked, I think our identities and finances are going to be gone well before our images are. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, there, there's probably not a lot of people out there trying to pirate um, in, you know, images off of Amazon, you know, but <laughs> yeah. There's way more lucrative things to steal than that. So, <laughs> And I think this whole world's moving in that direction, right? Because I'm like you, Jason. I was always like against it because I didn't want to have to pay for the amount of data that I use. But when I found out about Amazon doing it this way, if I had to pay Apple for what do they call iCloud yeah. for that much space, I would be probably paying five, six hundred bucks a year. Yeah. So yeah. I've never done it with anybody else but the Amazon one, which is just covered under my Prime membership. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing I was going to say, too, is with, uh, like, there's other services out there. I can't remember the name of the one I was looking at, but there's one that, like, it, it encrypts your data, and it's, you know, it's got, you know, some very big security guarantees behind it, but, you know, it's like 45, 50 bucks a month type of a thing. You know, so, again, you're going you're gonna to spend five or 600 bucks a, a year for that kind of protection and unlimited data, you know, and so that's where it gets, it's just hard for me to, you know, bite off another you know, annual subscription to something that's just, you know, I feel like I'm getting annual subscription to death, you know, with all this stuff, you know, so. Subscription fatigue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's a, I, I think there's something out there and I need to do more research on this, but I think it's a company like Drobo. Have you guys heard of Drobo hard drives? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it'd be something like a Drobo hard drive that would actually, let's say you bought it, Jason. Mm -hmm. It would sit here in my office mm -hmm. and it would be big and I'd say it's a four terabyte, eight terabyte, 32 terabyte Drobo mm -hmm. that you would just have access to. It's basically offsite, but you don't have to pay that subscription fee. You have to buy that original drive, but then you could back it up to like my place. And that way it's almost like a cloud, but it's not that subscription cloud. It's just your own cloud that just sits somewhere where you trust. And I think that's available too. So wait a minute, are you talking like this drive sits off-site somewhere else, or is it yeah. something you'd set up on your desktop somewhere? I think you do both ways, but I think what you could do for, you know, and to, to replace kind of like the cloud thing, you could just, you could buy the thing, set it up, send it to me, I plug it into my internet, and then you, through software, have, once it's identified on the internet, you yeah. know, through security and encryption, yeah. then you could just access that drive from yeah. your place and it's basically like a cloud because it's not you know what you're trying to get away from is if if somebody came and stole your hard drive or if dog runs through the room and knocks all the hard drives off on the floor and none of them work ever again 
you know, it's just that extra place to have it stored. And I know that it exists. I have never really researched it to figure out, you know, and you've got to have fast internet on both sides to make it work great. But well, you can actually set up your own cloud system just at your own house too. I mean, that's, that's an option. I've actually looked at doing that. You know, it's just, it's just the idea of having two 32 terabyte towers that I'm backing up and, you know, but then you, you know, basically you can set up so that as long as it's on the system, it has internet access you can access that from wherever you're at. So it's basically your own personal cloud. Yep. But you, to your point, it wouldn't be secure in the sense that it's in your house and both of them are there. And if a fire happened or something, you know, you're not protected that way. But Right. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you all this stuff, anything you can think of exists. Part of yeah. my apprehension is then it's just something else I have to go learn how to do. And I just, yep. I don't have the time to sit there and figure that kind of stuff out. But yeah, well, and that. Back to this. That's why I love this thing. This was not very expensive. I think these were at the time, and I bought this like a year ago. These were like 169 bucks a piece, and they and that's really cheap for an, a solid state drive that was that high of a terabytes. They're probably cheaper now, would be my guess. You can get that that same drive at Costco for like 130 bucks when they have them. They don't have them all the time, but when they do, it's like 130 bucks for a one terabyte. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, that's All my right. tip. <laughs> what, Ron? What's yours? Mine. We did a whole show on it, but I'm just gonna second it again after <laughs> using the thing. And we didn't actually do the show on this item, but uh, the Trago Pan blinds. So oh. my biggest, my biggest concern anytime I use a blind, Wyoming has the nastiest wind, you know, of anywhere that I've ever gone to photograph. And so that's the first question I always ask is, is it going to hold up to the wind? Because it's just going to get beat up. And for the price and for the size, you know, what I've seen out there, these things are the ticket. They're so small and compact. They're built for photographers. They've got a slot for the leg of your tripod to slide through. So your tripod legs on the outside of the blind so that it's not taking up all the space, you know, on the inside because there's limited space in it. There's shooting ports all over the place. There's netting that you can get to to cover your camera. It just is the ticket, and they've just about thought of everything that I can think of. Uh, it folds up in a really compact. It's probably maybe 18 inches long and about six inches wide is all the space that it takes up. So you can throw your your chair your tripod and and a blind in a pack and have plenty of room to spare Hmm. and uh, so i've got like i said i have two of them set up now so i'll be able to tell you how they hold up in the snow here in a couple days because we're supposed to get a a pretty good spring storm i guess you'll be able to tell us how they hold up in the wind too if they're still there (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly but yeah these things are the ticket and i can't i can't say enough about them. They are going to open up a lot of photographic opportunities for me and anybody that goes with me. So anybody that's doing birds or like you do a lot of fox stuff where it's better mm-hmm. if you're kind of concealed in there. That's that's the type of person that wants these things, right? Absolutely. But even, you know, in the fall, even if you've got a field where the, the deer are rutting in the fall and you just want to throw a blind or, you know, in the spring... When the deer have their fawns, I've got a couple water holes that that they frequent. Set one of those up on one of those water holes and then just go sit. They're going to open up a ton of opportunities. So I just think they're the ticket. And I've used hunting blinds, which tend to be a lot bigger, a lot heavier, and a lot more bulky. They definitely are not built just for a photographer. 
I mean, these things barely cover me up. It's just, oh, it's, oh so you're saying they're not made for me? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, they're going to cover you up. But I, what I'm saying is it's built for photographic movement. I'm just teasing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is what I was trying to say. So does this mean you said you have two of them set up? So you went out, you set them up, you staked them in the ground and then yep. you left them there. So this is something that you're doing on private ground or controlled yeah, ground where you can actually know that nobody's going to take on, them. Or... It's on private and it's not on the private where the road is. <laughs> right. Right. But that's, that's the other advantage. To these things are so the setup is so quick. You literally take them out of the bag, pull one strap and the whole blind is up. You just slide your chair underneath, get your camera situated, and you're up and running. So when you leave them, are you flattening them down and leaving them flat, or are you leaving them set up? Nope, it's set up. Okay. So we are going to test the wind endurance. <laughs> They're staked down pretty solid. but Well, what you're testing is the stakes and the quality of the soil, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> In Wyoming, yes. It could end up in Nebraska. I don't know. And then, you know, if it does and you find it, well, enjoy. Yeah, right. <laughs> know that it was purchased with love. No, but they're a great tool, and I think they're going to be a, a good photographic tool for years to come because they are very well built. Hey, Ron, are they set up? Because I actually was checking those out, too, and I think it was because I saw you on a story or something. I caught wind that you had bought one. And I'd never heard of them, and I've been looking at blinds, you know, all, all over the place. And I use hunting blinds, to your point, you know, for grouse and stuff. And they work great, but they're heavy, they're bulky, they're huge. I mean, you know, a hunting blind is, geez, you know, they, they're awesome because they're a hub system. They just pop right up, and they're mm -hmm. great. But, you know, th those things are, geez, mine's, you know, six feet long and or yep. five feet long and in a great big round bag, and it weighs probably 50 pounds or something, right? So it's not very mm -hmm. user-friendly. But um, sorry, long to get my question – are these things set up to where you can actually lay on the ground and shoot out of them too? You can. Yeah. Okay. I was yeah, wondering because I couldn't really there's tell. There's ports that are real low. Um, there's a vestibule that you can buy mm -hmm. so that you can lay down. So like with waterfowl, mm -hmm. I think that setup would work really well. Are you uh, reading, you reading my mind? That's exactly the, what I was wondering about. Yeah, <laughs> the ones that I bought, I bought a little tunnel. And this is one that when we had Garrett Van on the show, uh, Garrett was talking about this and, and basically the tunnel is you can do one of two things. The reason that I wanted to get it is because I could have a video set up on one side and a, and a still image set up on the other side. I could move back and forth in between and mm. basically run both systems at the same time. Or, you know, when I have somebody here that's here to photograph grouse with me, you know, I can have them in the blind and the first time somebody photographs either sage grouse or the sharp tails there's a lot of little in intricacies that you've got to watch for and make sure you don't you know put yourself out of position to get the next image and so you're talking back and forth all the time and so that allows you to do that as well hmm. so it's a very well thought out i can see why garrett when he first saw these things or first used them why he decided to go ahead and go into business with this guy and bring them to North America because they are a, a very good product. Yeah. We should just mention it's on one of the previous podcasts and I can look it up here. real yeah, quick. Yeah. With Garrett Vin. We'll put it in the show notes, but if you want to hear all about the blinds, we did a whole podcast with that yeah, guy. You so. definitely want to listen to that podcast. Yeah. So yeah, that's my pro tip. All right. Well, mine is going to come from something I just worked up with Jason the other day. And I thought, well, if I'm telling Jason, it's probably something that we should put out for everybody. And we may have talked about it before. I just can't remember. So you can 
just tell me Ron if we did but generally if you guys are shooting on iPhones and I'm not sure about Android so I'm not sure about Samsung and that kind of stuff but it'd be worth checking it out if you're if you're running one of those phones but Jason has been headed out to shoot stories and we're trying to get more content for our podcast right so I'm like just shoot on your iPhone and just get you know driving down the road or get where you get to where you're going just stop and talk into the camera and just say here's what what the plan is and this is what I'm going to shoot with or whatever the case is and I told him, I said, just make sure you shoot it all in 4K because it gives us a lot more flexibility when we edit. And he's like, okay. And I said, let's just check your phone just to make sure you're shooting on 4K. And we found out that his phone was actually set up to, I think, 2K. And then you can also adjust your slow motion. So if you want to shoot slow motion with your iPhone, you've got two choices. And I'm just going to put out this what I use and the reason why I use it and then you all can just make your own decision but if you're going to do that kind of stuff if you're doing any vlogging or if you want to throw something up on Instagram it's always better to have the higher quality you can always go down in quality it's harder to go up unless you got that super secret Topaz Ninja program that that does all they the do fancy have, stuff they mm-hmm. have video pro software now too by the way do they just thought I'd throw that out there but go ahead what you want to do on, on an iPhone, and like I said, that's all I'm familiar with. I don't have the Samsung, but I'm sure it's it's very similar. We just went into settings, and under settings, you go down to the camera part, and you just scroll down till you see it. It says camera. Once you get to camera, you just click on it, and then it just shows you all the settings. So you can actually put a grid on it. Remember when we were talking about composition? You can actually throw a grid on your camera if you want to in your iPhone. And then it has record video, and you have options you can do 720p at 30 frames a second, 1080p at 30 frames a second, 1080 at 60 frames a second, or you can do 4K24 or 4K30, and then you can also even do 4K60. I recommend the 4K30 because that's the best quality, and then you've, you're dealing with 4,000 pixels wide. If somebody's watching this on YouTube right now, that is showing up at 2,000 pixels wide, or that's showing up as HD. And the 4K will compress down to that and look just fine on 2k or work as 4k it just gives you a lot more flexibility when you're shooting as far as quality and then the other option you can do is if you're shooting 4k you can crop in and just pull 2k out of that 4k this requires a little bit of knowledge on some of these editing programs but it's very similar to as cropping up image we just crop video the same way we just do it in a video program and i think you can even do it in imovie so even if you're going to edit something on your phone you can edit 4k footage in a 2k timeline and be just fine but um just go in there and make sure that's set up the reason i say that is it defaults to 1080 and the other thing that 4k does is it future proofs it you know it's not gonna be too much further down the road when we're all watching 4k tvs so even if you're shooting the grandkids at home or you're shooting the seventh grade graduation having 4k would be great 20 years from now because we'll probably be on 8k tvs and you won't be looking at a postage stamp you know, that's on your TV at when if it's set up for 1080. <laughs> then for your slow motion, there's basically three choices. You've got 1080p at 120 frames a second, and that's a pretty common slow motion frame rate. So you figure 120 frames per second, that's basically every one second equals four seconds in slow motion. So that's where you get all that detail that you were talking about earlier, Ron, with grouse, where if you're shooting slow-mo of that stuff, you just really start to see the detail because you're getting 120 frames of that. You can also shoot at 720p, which is even smaller than HD. So that's going to be like a, you know 720 pixels wide. And you can shoot that at 240 frames a second. So you, if you really want to slow stuff down, now you're turning one second into eight seconds. 
So if you really wanted to illustrate something, um, I'm not sure what that would be, a dragonfly maybe, something that is just super fast and you just have the ability to shoot it with your phone. It's cool and there's definitely a use for it, but that's not something you want to have on all the time. My go-to would be the 1080p 120 frames a second. So just use that as your kind of go-to and then just go into those settings and get that set up. And the other thing that it has in here under the camera is you have, Apple has their new format. I think it's H-E-I-C or H-I-E-C. It's a high efficiency format that kind of replaces a JPEG. I've elected to go with the, still the JPEG over the high efficiency. I feel like the high efficiency doesn't have the data that the JPEGs do. So I don't have as much detail or as many pixels in a high efficiency image. So I went in and changed it. It comes default as high efficiency. So go into your phone and change that to most compatible, which is the JPEG, which is going to give you a little bit better quality if you're relying on a lot of images that you take with your phone. That's it. That's my tip. Nice. That's a good one. That helped me out a ton. That'll come in real handy for tomorrow's adventure. Right, <laughs> which we should talk about. But one more thing before we do that. The one downside to doing all this 4K is you, you do need storage. You know, you can't run a phone that's 32 megabytes or, or yeah, th what, no, 32 gigabytes of storage. If you have a, a larger phone, I don't even know what they go up to these days, but like 128 gigabytes, you, you'd probably have enough. But then if you start shooting a lot, you're going to have to download it off your phone onto your computer or onto a hard drive and then just take it off your phone eventually just so you don't fill that thing up. But just be aware of that. All right. Well, before we get into Jason's thing, um, let me just ask you guys a couple quick questions and hopefully this will help out people in our audience or if they aren't shooting turkeys, then maybe it's of interest. But since I have never done turkeys before, you keep talking about the storm that's rolling in this weekend. Well, I think we're going to get that same storm. So they're calling for snow and 30 degree temps on Sunday. So I've been getting a lot of really good activity with these turkeys. And I, you know, it's not warm, but it's not cold. I mean, you go out there and I have to wear a jacket. I shiver if I'm just wearing like a, a pullover or something. So I guess we're in the 40s. It's not cold, cold. And they're super active. These birds are just going crazy. They're strutting. They're doing their thing. What's going to be like this weekend? What, what do I need to prepare for? Are they going to be active with this snow? Is it going to change? Is it going to be more active or... What do I need to plan for? Or if anything at all, is it just going to, I don't need to worry about it, just go shoot? In my experience, they settle down a bit. I mean, they don't necessarily stop, but they're not as active when it's snowing. I just, you know, the storm just adds that other element that you don't get typically. And so if you do get one strutting in the, in the storm, you know, I, I think you just, you have something that not many people have. So I think it's definitely worth shooting. Uh, the feathers are going to get wet and they don't, they don't look, you know, you obviously won't have that iridescence that you see. So some of that detail is going to be gone, but I just, I definitely think it's worth going out. Everybody goes out in the good weather. So it's just something that can set you apart. But I've seen the activity go down a bit. They're still going to be out. They're still, it's still that time of year. So they're, you know, they're going to be active. Jason, you can correct me if you've had it a different experience. Yeah, no, I, I would I would tend to agree with everything you said. The only thing I'd say is, you know, it's just you just never know. You know, I've been out and I haven't had too many winter snowy opportunities with turkeys. The one that I had not too long ago, where I you know shared those clips with you guys, um, the slow mo stuff in the snow. That was you know the first time I'd have actually really had that. But to Ron's point, you know, they didn't stick around long. Once the snow started coming, 
you know, it really started to pile up on the ground. They kind of just worked their way up, up into the trees and got into some cover. But I've also have seen it where, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to shoot, but that was snowing pretty good and they were out there strutting away. So I think a lot of it just has to do with how, you know, how much into the, to the rut or the strut they are. Are there hot hens right then and there? You know, if there's, if there's hot hens, you know how it is. Nothing's going to stop that nature from taking place, right? So, I mean, I've been in the elk rut and it's been pouring rain and snowing and whatever, and it doesn't stop them. They don't care. You know, right. it's not the same critter, but you get the point, right? It's right. not very right. much different than any of them. They have one thing on their mind and, you know, a little snow is not going to stop them from doing that. But, um, but to Ron's point, I do agree. You don't get the, the really cool iridescent colors from them, you know, when they're in the snow, but it, it's something that not a lot of people have that I've seen either. So it's it's definitely worth going out and you know doing giving it your best shot for sure. All right, I have one more question, then we can get to your stuff, Jason. And actually, one point too: if you guys are on Instagram, I saw, if anybody follows John Hafner, and I don't remember his actual Instagram name, but I think it's John Hafner Photo. Maybe he actually had some turkey shots today that were pretty cool. You could see their breath when they were gobbling. Oh yeah, and it's a pretty cool shot. I just I just wanted to point it out. Just give him a shout out. If you're into turkeys and you're into that wildlife photography, you will appreciate this shot. Just with the light and that sort of thing. Um, my last question before we get to your stuff, Jason, is what about the amount of activity during the day? Is it morning and evening? Is there are they like grouse where it's just kind of mornings? Because I've just been hitting this up in the mornings, and then I just don't go back out. But yeah, I'm wondering if I'm missing out on some opportunities. Should I, should I be going out back out? I yeah, you should be going out back yeah, out in definitely. the evenings. Yep. I mean, middle of the day, I don't think you're gonna. I mean, that's not true either. Turkeys will do their stuff in the middle of the day. I hear a lot of guys talk about sometimes their favorite time to kill a turkey is at one o'clock in the afternoon. You know, from a hunting standpoint. Right. So that definitely means that they're out doing their thing still. But I definitely think there's like a slow period, right? You know, you get that morning, you know, that push in the morning, then it kind of slows down a bit. Then I think you get probably some noonday action depending on where you're at and how active the birds are or whatever. And then you get, you, you'll get some afternoon strut action as well. I thought I, I might know. stay out if it was cloudy just because I'm not going to shoot in the middle of the day because of the light. But if it's cloudy, I thought I might give it a go. Today I was out shooting and, you know, lots of activity. I get there like, I don't know. The sun's coming up at 6.30 these days, and I was getting out there at 6, so I can still hear them and see them. Um, it's not quite light enough to shoot anything, but they're going to town, man. They're just busy, busy, busy. And then they were busy till about 9 o'clock, just lots of activity. And then I was starting to see them sitting in trees already, you know, like not sleeping, but they're just like up on little, you know, branches that are three, four feet off the ground, and they're just sitting there preening and doing their thing. So I was just curious if that's, you know, are they like the grouse where it's just morning and done or... Is this, I kind of assumed it was an all day thing, but I knew you guys would know. So, yeah, I'd also say just, uh, you know, they're about like grouse for me as far as percentage of success shooting them too, even <laughs> with birds that aren't hunted. I mean, I, I just yeah. went uh, last weekend, I think one morning um, to my spot I've been going and it was a total bust. I didn't hardly get anything. You know, it's just the way it goes. They were, they were still strutting and doing their thing, but they just weren't in the spot where they were supposed to be. You know, they didn't read the script. So um, <laughs> that that happens a lot, in my opinion. You know, turkeys are just not, in my opinion, even tame ones, unless they're being fed or something, unless you've got them coming into, a, you know, some kind of a feed site or something, 
they're just not predictable and they just do their thing and they, they're creatures of habit, but they're not repeatable. They don't stay in the exact same spot every time. And that's why I've struggled. I've had a hard time with turkeys, even trying to set up blinds and that because I'll, I'll kind of watch them and see what they're doing. Then I'll set up a blind and I'll be in that blind first thing. And then they're just not there. They're in a different area. <laughs> and I'm stuck in my blind going, well, there they are over there. And it's not doing me any good here, you know? But, right. Right. So yeah, they're, they're very frustrating. <laughs> well, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, the the difficult thing about where I'm shooting is the topography is not flat. I'm on a side of a hill and it's, well, it's the foothills here outside of Denver. So you're going up into the Rockies, but um, I'm not finding a lot of flat ground to shoot on quite yet. So we'll see how it all shakes out. There's few places here and there and the birds are kind of spread out. I don't even know. If I had to guess, I'd say there's probably 50, 50 birds in here right now, but there'll be one great big group, but then you go up a little bit further and you might see two or three hens with one tom, and then you go up a little bit further and there's like one, today there was one tom and one hen. And they mm. were definitely, you know, they were buds for the moment. <laughs> um, you know, so I don't know if it's going to stay like that or what. It's, it's interesting. We'll just give some reports on it for anybody that's interested. Yeah, I'm gonna cool. I'm gonna keep after. Oh, one other thing. Sorry, we we'll get this thing done. <laughs> no, you're good, man. <laughs> so um, you know, we've been putting together these little videos with all this footage of what or whatever we're getting, and we're just trying to put out these little wildlife vignettes on YouTube. So I've been paying a lot of attention to getting audio, right? And I'm thinking, oh, especially with turkeys, it's so cool to hear them when they gobble, and and then the hens are always putting around, and they're just making these little purring sounds, and so I. I've thought, man, I'm going to get set up. I'm going to uh, record some really cool audio. And then you know how we always talk about being prepared, right? <laughs> I'm such a ding-dong. I tell you what, I my cameras are good to go. But and now I'm adding a whole nother. Well, I'm taking still cameras, video cameras, and now I've added audio. So now there's three things i got to make sure I'm dialed in on ready to go. I didn't dial in on the audio, I can tell you. And this is two days in a row something goofy's happened. Yesterday I got it all set up. There's beautiful things going on. I just take a microphone and I set it out in the woods where I think they might come through. And sure enough, they did yesterday. Well, I didn't look at the settings on the recorder and I didn't have the level up high enough. So I, w I recorded for like an hour and 13 minutes or something. And I was super excited. You know, I couldn't, I was almost more excited to come back and listen to this audio than I was to come back and look at any of the pictures. Well, I get back and I'm like, you know, I'm really cranking up the gain and I'm barely here. I'm like, oh, so I looked at the recorder. It was way too low. This morning... Mr. Genius here. I set it up. I got it all fixed. I got the levels right. Got it set up where I thought the turkeys were going to show up. And I let it set for two hours. I'm like, this is going to be so awesome. And these birds were walking right by the microphone. And they were gobbling. And I was like, this is going to be so awesome. Well, I get over there and the digital display on the recorder said card full. Oh, oh no. So I don't know how, you know, I'm at that point, I didn't know, did it run for an hour? Did it run for two minutes? Did it, you know, and it's just one of those dumb things that I didn't check before <laughs> I went out. So just lesson learned. I just wanted to point that out. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of stuff to remember, but man, it's just so key to, fortunately, this isn't like a one-time deal. But the other thing I think it speaks to is I haven't been out in the field for like three or four weeks. And I think I just got out of my groove right you know because i use this stuff all the time especially with the commercial work or you know doing this kind of stuff i've been working on in the office due to this covid thing and i, I don't know i just had a my brain shut down and i just forgot so i just wanted to point that out it's just be just get on top of your gear and figure it out before it's time 
But like I said, hopefully it's going to happen again tomorrow. Watch tomorrow. I'll get 50 mile an hour winds and all you're going to hear is wind and no turkeys. <laughs> but anyway, I just wanted to point that out. Uh, awesome. Well, Jason, we've been putting this off long enough. <laughs> so hope it stands yeah. up to the hype. Holy cow. Well, the images do. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And it's something different. I don't, I don't think we've ever really gone into depth discussing, you know, this subject in particular yeah. on, on the show. So go ahead. Let us have it. What did, what did your <laughs> week hold? So my favorite image for the week was um, some wild horse stuff. And I actually think, I think I posted today on my Instagram page. It's Thursday where we're recording this. My favorite image that I got. And it's a, it's a great big old stallion out in the West Desert of Utah. And it's just a really cool time of the year to be out there because, you know, for the desert, there's quite a bit of grass and um, some good color. And it was just a perfect day that gave us some, you know, some real good light. Um, I had some diffused light, so I was able to shoot a little bit later than normal. But it was just a, it was a beautiful day. I hadn't really been out much. I'd been out doing some turkey stuff from the vehicle, you know, a couple times and just was really itching to just really get out and get a good day out in the outdoors and recharge my batteries and, you know, work and some other things going on. There's some stressful things going on with all this COVID stuff, like Mike mentioned, and so anyways, trying to, you know, trying to be responsible and trying to stay away from people and that I actually just thought I'd go out and spend the day out there in the West Desert with the feral horses or the wild horses who, you know, they get called both things. There's a herd out there that's, I don't know, it's probably 300 strong or so. And uh, they're pretty easy to find. Um, they're not too far from the main roads out there. And I um, was just able to go out there and spend the day with them. It was it was just so refreshing. I was telling Mike, him and I were speaking about it a little bit. And I, you know, I got out there right at sunrise and right on the horses right away and just was able to try to do some video and some slow-mo stuff and some photos and just a good mixture of everything. And I even tried to do some um, story stuff too, you know, which is the first time I'd really done much of that kind of vlogging type stuff, you know, so it was fun. I had a really good time, but yeah, that was probably my favorite, favorite image of the week. And Part of the reason it was such a powerful image to me was, one, I was able to get down in a ditch to shoot him. So I was shooting him from a very low angle and basically at ground level. And the other part was just that because of that, there was a lot of really good depth. I was shooting my – that shot I took with my Nikon D850 and my 500 Prime. At F4, that thing just creates some amazing bokeh and some really good depth. I thought it was a pretty cool image, and the horse itself is just beautiful. He's just a great big – I don't even know how to explain it. like super like he looks like he's swole. He looks like Arnold the horse, right? He's just 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 <laughs> huge. He's just massive in his front end. I mean, this horse is when you see him compared to a lot of the other horses out there, you'd know what I mean. I mean, he's just that much bigger and that much stockier than the rest of the horses out there. So I kind of cued in on him and spent quite a bit of time with him. But then I also spent some time with a brand new foal that had just been born. And I don't know if it was a foal or a colt, right? It was a baby horse. <laughs> um, but that horse had just been born the night before, had to have. Um, I actually got some video of the horse trying to sit down. And basically, he fell down because he just really didn't have his legs about him yet. And got some images of him that I actually posted on the Wild and Exposed page today as well. But you could still see the blood on the on the hind quarters of the mom. You could still see the blood on her legs, pretty pronounced from you know given birth that happens quite a bit out there you guys probably know horses birth year round there's no set time they don't do it 
you know, in the spring or the fall or anything like that. It's just a, a continual cycle. And what's interesting about that is I've learned some lessons out there is when you see a horse with a baby or a, a, a female horse with a baby, you you want to kind of cue in on them because the stallions will be paying attention to them because I can't remember the exact numbers, but within a week or so, I think. Yeah, they'll um, go back into heat. They'll go back into heat and the stallions will start to try to breed them. Yep. And that's when you're doing photography of the horses, that's a that's a pretty good opportunity because that's, you know, that creates that tension in those horses. Those stallions start fighting a little bit, trying to decide who's going to actually get the right to breed her. The other reason you want to key in on that is their gestation period is almost exactly a year. So you know to, you know, be back and, and horses are a little bit easier to identify, even the wild horses, yeah, uh, the individuals, because their color patterns and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, make yeah. a mental note or make a written note, write it down on a calendar and come back out. She may have another one. There, there was quite a few. I think I was with the group I was with, um, and I wasn't the whole group. I think there were some bands that were off doing their own thing elsewhere, too. But this big group that I was with, there was probably 150 head of horses in this big group. And I think there was five or six young young baby horses. You know, that's a pretty good ratio. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're just <laughs> – they're pretty cute, man. They're pretty fun to hang out with and that. And they, they've all got personalities and you can definitely pick up, you know, there's usually a bully stallion or two that just run around and start fights with everybody. And then there's, you know, the ones that are older ones like this one I posted on my page today. I think he was an older, wiser stallion that just kind of knew there was nothing to fight about right now. And he was just kind of chilling and, you know, soaking up the sun, so to speak, and just like letting the other horses do their thing and not really worrying too much. But, you know, you can tell he's the kind of horse that when it's time for business, he'll he'll step in and take charge, so to speak. But, but yeah, pretty, pretty fun day. Well, I've seen a lot of the footage that we're going to put in the show. And if anybody's watching this on YouTube, you're seeing it now, but I mean, it just looked like so much fun. I mean, it's one of those things, right? That we all love shooting big game Mm -hmm. and this kind of replaces that for this time of year. Yep. And then, like you said, all these little bands of horses kind of have their own personalities and the stallions have their personalities. You can tell the, like the lead mare mm-hmm. and she kind of runs the deal or runs a lot of the other, the rest of the herd. And then you got all these little ones and the amount of like tussling and fighting that you got on video, both with mm-hmm. young horses and like not necessarily adult, maybe mature horses, but they're not super old uh, yeah. is my assumption. I mean, they just look like really young horses, but mm-hmm. man, they're full of it. Yeah. I think you and I talked a little bit about that, but I think part of the, and I don't know, I don't know. I've never really photographed horses anywhere else. You know, I've never had the opportunity. And I know there's a lot of other places to do it. You can go to Nevada, you can go to Colorado, you can go to Montana, you can go. There's a lot of places that have quote unquote wild horses or feral horses. It's Arizona. You know, there's quite a few down that way too. I think the thing that makes this band or this group of horses so much fun to shoot is, and the, and you see so much of the activities because the resources are just so limited. I think that's why they're easy to find is because they're hanging out by water resources and there's not a ton of water resources out there. And so you can see at this time of year, it's not so bad because there's, there's plenty of water right now, but I've photographed these horses in July and that literally was only one water hole that had any water in it at all. And the whole group of horses in that area was coming to that water hole. And it was the most amazing day I ever had photographing but it was because that every single time a new horse would come into that water hole, there was a fight over who was going to actually get to drink first. And so as this line of horses come in, and they just kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And I actually shared that experience with my son, Hunter, 
and a friend of mine, Terry Hansen. And as those horses just kept coming, we sat there for probably an hour and a half and literally watched this interaction and, you know, figuring out who was going to get to drink first. And by the time the last few horses were coming into the water hole, the water hole was drained. It was empty. And so it was just, it really hit me about how, why that was such a big deal. You know, these, these horses are literally deciding who's going to get to drink and who's not ultimately. It was a, I think it's a, a well, a spring, and they had, ta- they had tapped into it. And the horses, there was so much horse demand that the, the well wasn't filling it up as fast as they were drinking. So the last horse that was taken to drink, I literally, and I think I took an image of it. I'll have to look and see if I did, and I'll send it to you, Mike. But the last horse that was getting a drink was literally taking drops out of the pipe to, to get any water there. And I, I don't, I won't go down a, the whole path of that because there's a whole bunch of, <laughs> right. there's a whole bunch behind that, right? This is not, this is a very controversial subject for a lot of people in a lot of different ways, but, and we don't need to go there necessarily, but, but there's just a reality to it that, you know, that's how, that's why they were fighting so much. And that's why there was so much tussling. And, you know, those horses out there, a lot of the big stallions, have chunks of their hide hanging that they've been bitten in fighting and or their hooves have been kicked them and they've torn skin open and you can see where they've got scars all over their bodies and it's it's all from that it's all about fighting for resources i really believe it's crazy the footage you sent me i mean you got horses biting each other and it's more of like a it's not like a serious fight but man they're they're chomping down on each other i mean it can't feel good that's for sure yeah Huh. Yeah, I never thought you would imagine in July, it's hot in the desert yeah. in Utah. I mean, that water is their most precious resource out of anything. Wow. Yep. And and as the, you know, because that land is, you know, it's BLM land and it's shared with, you know, multiple critters. You know, there's antelope that live out there. There's cattle that the Cattlemen Association runs out there. So that there's, you know, there's some grazing rights out there. And then you've got these horses as well. And then there's also, you know, rabbits and all other kinds of little critters that run around out there and birds and metal larks and horned larks and all kinds of stuff, burrowing owls. You know, the desert's full of life. This time of year, it's, it's beautiful. But you get to July. And on that day, I went with the, Terry and my son, Hunter. We went out there first thing in the morning. We were having a hard time finding the horses. We couldn't find them. And we didn't find them till it was like noon. We were going to, we were like giving up. We were making one more pass and we, it just happened to be looking. And I saw this big string and a dust cloud, just probably a mile out. And I pulled over and threw up the binoculars and here they all are. And we didn't know where they had been, but you could tell they were headed to this water hole. And so we booked it down to the water hole and got in place. And we ended up, so it was like noon to one thirty is when we had our shoot. So it was the worst light of the day. It was 105 degrees is what it read on my car. It was dusty as I'll get out, hot as I'll get out. And these horses were just more active than you've ever seen, you know, even more than, more active than critters you'd see on a, you know, a cool fall morning when, you know, you'd think there's, you know, there's no heat to fight and there's plenty of water and that they're, they're healthy and that, all that, whatever, that, that kind of stuff. But these guys were just they was not. They weren't playing. They weren't play biting. These every single horse that came in, you'd have their little bands, and the stallion of that band would fight with the stallion from the other band, and it was all about okay, I'm not done drinking yet. You stay there, or yeah, you are done drinking. Get out of the way. It's my turn. You know, and it was all about who's going to win that battle. And then you'd see that stallion come in with the with their mares, and they would you know drink or whatever, and the other horses would hang out in the outskirts a little bit, waiting for their turn. And then you could see if they were getting impatient, then the stallions might start having a discussion. You know, it was just it was in, it was really interesting to watch and see for sure the dynamics of it. You know, but 
sorry, I could go on about it for hours probably. No, I mean, <laughs> I've only photographed wild horses for maybe four or five or six different times. And just in that amount of time, you can see those discussions. I mean, you start picking up on that very quickly that there's definitely a hierarchy. There's definitely competition. There's definitely... You know, you got your outcast. Every horse has their own personality. I mean, you can come up with names for them super fast. It's yeah. so dynamic. It's so cool to watch. Yeah. Yeah, and these horses are, you know, as most of the horses are, they're pretty well photographed. You know, there's a lot of people that go out there and spend time with them. And there's some local photographers here that get out there quite a bit. And there's some amazing images out there of these horses. But what's cool is this is like the perfect thing to go do on a in a situation that we're in right now. Because even if there's other photographers out there, you know, I did it on a weekday, so I wasn't hoping I wasn't going to be running into a bunch of other people. And I'm planning actually on going out there again tomorrow um, and spending the day with Hunter and myself um, to go out there and, you know, spend spend another day with them. But the cool thing is you probably won't run into a lot of other people that are really interested in photographing them. You might have people that see them, drive by, stop, get out with their cell phone, you know, take some photos, sit and watch them for a minute. But then they're off doing their own thing or doing something else. So, you know, that desert out there gets used quite a bit. A lot of people go out there and camp and ride their four-wheelers and side-by-sides this time of year. It's a great resource for a lot of reasons. And these horses are just kind of always out there. But there's, there is a group of people that photograph them pretty consistently. But it's something you can do to get out there and get away from the crowds and just kind of have your own time. And, and for me, you know, like my favorite part of the day was coming back to the car after the morning and I got to shoot till about 11 o'clock because, I, like I said, I had some clouds come in that gave me some pretty good diffuse light. But it was great to go back to the car and then just kind of go and find me a little hidey hole. I actually drove clear up into the foothills and found some junipers and found this old campsite off of a two-track. And I just found me a little shady spot and I rolled the window down and, you know, I turned the radio on in the car and I grabbed my little travel pillow and laid my head back and took me a nice little nap, woke up about an hour later, refreshed, you know, grabbed me some water and a quick, you know, bite. And it was about time to go back out and start, you know, seeing what they were doing and seeing where they were and, you know, what the evening was going to look like. But, but yeah, so yeah, just a great way to, to spend some time and to recharge your batteries given the circumstances, you know. Well, I think you made a good point about we're recording this podcast during the COVID or coronavirus epidemic, pandemic so everybody's being asked to just social distance and stay pretty much at home. You can go outside, but they want you to stay at home. The cool thing about what we do, if we manage it right, is like when I'm out shooting these turkeys, I don't see anybody. It's just me and turkeys, you know, and, and a vehicle. And then, Ron, that's the same for you in Wyoming. I mean, you're, when you go out, you don't really have to see anybody. And then obviously that happened with you, Jason. And if you take your son, you're living with your son. You're already, you guys don't have to social distance. So it's a pretty cool opportunity to get out there. You know, they're talking all kinds of stories in Denver about all these natural areas that that are still open to the public, but you can't really social distance because it's a nature trail, but there might be, you know, a thousand people on it. They're talking about closing those down. So it's very precious opportunity if if you can do what we do and and be able to you know i'm on private ground so i know that i'm not gonna have any problems you can probably get you know where you're going is big enough and wide enough that you don't have to worry about it and then ron nobody lives in wyoming anyways you don't really have to social distance no i never see anybody we've been (laughs) wyoming we've been social distancing since 1890 when we became a state (laughs) (laughs) so well obviously if you watch this on 
YouTube, you've seen all that footage, and we'll throw in some stills too. But if you guys are listening on the audio feed for this podcast, make sure you check out the show notes because we'll. I think we'll produce a little um, wildlife vignette with the footage that you've got, Jason. Cool. So yeah. we can just do some little just highlight horse reel or horse video and then you'll be able to see that and if you're not watching on youtube as far as uh going along with the conversation but you got some spectacular stuff so one thing i'll talk about maybe just a little bit too just for folks that might be thinking about it is actually maybe maybe my setup and that and what i was shooting yeah i did go out with some things in mind i was really trying to i had my phone with me like i mentioned i was trying to do some little bit of, of vlog and stuff and i try to tell the story a little bit and i had my my Miller head on my video head for my Nikon D850 and my 500 Prime, and I have a Rode mic on that that I can use to try to get some sound and audio. And then I also had my Sony on me as well with a strap um, around my shoulder, so I had both options with me all the time. That's kind of a lot to haul around. And actually, that morning those horses took me on about a. I figured it was probably about a three mile loop, you know, I actually tracked it on my phone, but, but you know, it's all rolling heel. It's not a big deal. It's a great, it's great walk. Great. You know, to just get out and do it, but hauling that gear around, it's a, it's a good little way to get out and do a little bit of exercise. Anyways, they took me on about a three mile loop by the time I got back to the car. And the, the, the beautiful thing about having that set up the way I was doing it, I think was I could do some video and I could also be taking stills at the same time. If I had something going on that was far enough away, I could set up the camera, I could roll some video, and I could also take stills of something else that was going on. It's a little hard to do. I, granted, I do, I admit that, but it can be done. And the cool thing is, is with that two to 600, I could zoom all the way back out to 200 and be prepared for anything that might be happening up close. Cause you just never know where they're gonna be. And a lot of times they'll start roughhousing and they'll start running towards you. And with your 500 prime, you know, you're just, you're, it is what it is. But if they start doing that, I can just whip out, you know, I can pull up my two to six and at 200 and get the whole thing in frame and do some, some steals that way. So, so tomorrow I'm definitely going to be trying to focus a little bit more on, you know, kind of same setup. I'll have Hunter with me to help do some video stuff. I think to let him, you know, have some fun with his GoPro and to maybe run the video camera. Um, and that'll help quite a bit, but then trying to get some audio as well. And there's so much out there, like I mentioned, like the metal larks and the horn larks and the other stuff that's out there that's going on. And the horses, they're very vocal. They make, you know, a lot of noise. They make a lot of sound. Um, so anyways, just kind of some food for thought on what my setup was and maybe my thought process and why I was, you know, carrying all that gear around. You know, A, it was not too bad to carry it all around. And B, I wasn't too far from the car. Even if I did get taken on a three-mile loop, it wasn't a big deal. It was, you know, I'm not too far from um, my car to get back to it and have to haul all that wet stuff around because that Miller tripod with the Miller video head and that Nikon D850 and a 500, I think it weighs about 28 pounds. So on your shoulder all day long, it gets old after a bit, trust me, but, <laughs> but it's worth it with, you know, I know Mike knows, Mike knows for sure what that's all about because I think his system's heavier than that, but <laughs> you just learn how to switch shoulders. Yeah, I do that a lot too. So yeah. No, that's awesome. There are, like you said, there's plenty of opportunities in the West with a bunch of different states to get these horses. So yep, you can yep. always look up. Is this something that they advertise like on BLM sites or something? I don't even know. Yeah, they they do. Yeah, they, they've got that information out there. Yeah. But it's like you said too, Jason. I've been to, there's a couple of spots that I've hit here. I've had really good success at one. And the other one, they say there's horses, but I've been there and I've never 
never found them. I mean, it's like you said earlier, you could go, you almost, you guys almost left that one day just because you can spend three or four or five hours and yep. they're just not around. It helps to, you know, get in contact with some of the other local photographers that do spend time with them. That was a, that was a big help for me. I mean, I'd have found these ones. They were right off the main road. I'd have found them pretty quick, I think, but sometimes they just seem to be tend to hang in a different area where they're not super visible. And if you, are you know if you know somebody that does go out there and spends time with them then just you know reach out to them and i'm sure they're more than likely to just you know yeah they were here you know two days ago and if they're there in that area within the last couple of days they're more than likely going to be in the same general area but so yep. another pointer i want to go i'm not going to go do the horses here because for me it's like a five-hour drive so i'll wait till they lift this travel ban a little bit yeah. but i'm hoping that the three of us can meet out in the place that i've got here in colorado yeah, I'd love At to do that. I'm, yeah, that'd be way fun. I'm I'm looking forward to it. This is a good way to fill the time because normally I'd be in Yellowstone right now or something, right? Trying to shoot spring bears or do something like that or driving to Wyoming to get on a sage grouse lake, which I really don't feel like I can do right now. I actually kind of worry. I don't know what the actual law is, but I not I don't think we're supposed to be leaving the state. And so I worry a little bit about, you know, leaving going into Wyoming with Utah plates and getting some, you know, getting some harassment and so to your point, I just don't honestly don't know if it's the right thing to be doing this time, you know, right now anyways with everything that's going on. But yeah, well, the Wyoming's governor ordered a 14-day quarantine for anybody coming in from out of state. Oh. However, they also issued like a couple hundred out-of-state one-day fishing licenses last weekend for people coming in from Colorado. So they need, they need something to do if they're going to be there for two weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they only got the license for the one day <laughs> oh gotcha well what did i hear there was a state i just heard on an, i think it was on the meat eater podcast that i was listening to and i think they mentioned that there's a state that actually just said free fishing yeah i heard no that. license I required yeah i'm yeah. trying i can't remember the I state think it was but, down south somewhere yeah i think so too but i was kind of cool you know it's like listen if you can you know if that'll get you out and get you you know keep your sanity then you know go do some fishing you know but yeah all right. You guys have anything else? I don't think I do. Stay safe. Stay, stay safe. positive. Stay home, but stay active. Be out. Yes. Get outside. UV kills it. <laughs> <laughs> and vitamin D is good for you. So mm-hmm. get outside and enjoy it. Yeah, or go find a piece of private ground where you can stay away from people and set up a blind. Yeah. There you go. Sit in a blind all day. See what happens. As always, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Wild and Exposed. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Sing along to the radio. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way.